Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Idiom Brewing Company in Frederick, Maryland. Hi everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I am joined by Eric Kelklin, the founder of Bucci Call Kombucha, based out of Sharksburg, Maryland. Thanks for joining me. Thanks Chris, I appreciate it. And I don't think I butchered any of that. Nope. Stuttered a little bit, but I recovered. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> You're awake. I You barely. I did not sleep well last night. And I'm also, I'm currently writing an article about finding the best old fashioned in Frederick and uh, went to two places this morning. (laughs) So no, there's a, like, I'm, I'm not like buzzed or anything, but I have that had alcohol a few hours ago and I'm tired now feeling right. It's not like mad men or anything. Yeah. Not, not, not quite that bad. Um, so you have, you have a lot of work ahead of you right now. Um, because I don't know a whole lot about kombucha, so it's going to fall under your responsibility to teach me what it is. Um, but first let's just start with, uh, a little bit about yourself. Uh, what, what brought you to wanting to start Call? That's actually a long Interesting story. Well, it's a good thing this is a podcast and there are no time restraints unless you have some place to be. I have until four o'clock. No, I don't have any other place to be. (laughs) This is it. This is my last stop today. I used to brew beer. Okay. I am familiar with beer. I brewed it for 18 years. I was extremely an avid home brewer. I brewed about 350 gallons a year. So I That's had a, a lot. Yeah, yeah. I had a one barrel so, system, which is, so I would brew about 40 gallons at a pop. I had anywhere, I probably had about 50 kegs filled at every year. Okay. All right. So you weren't exaggerating with the avid It thing. was <laughs> a lot. Um, when I get into something, I really get into something. Yeah. And uh, my girlfriend back in 2000 gave me a home brewing kit because I used to love beer. What kind? What was it? I don't even remember. Was it a Mr. Beer? No, oh, okay. No, it was something from like more beer or something like. So like that. a little more elevated. A little more elevated. We had some grains to it, some maybe some DME, but not much. Um, which is malt extract. So, I started up. My first batch was my first three batches were absolutely horrible. You couldn't even drink them. <laughs> and I just ended up researching everything about beer, all the malt, all the hops. Uh, all the styles and just got fascinated in the history behind every single style. And my favorite beer at the time was Chimay Grand Reserve. And I always wanted to try to duplicate that flavor. I never could. I got pretty close. But once you start getting to Belgian beers, they get pretty difficult. There's a lot more going on. There's a lot more. It's very high alcohol. Yeah. Um, There's a lot more going on. The, The yeast is very expressive. Let's put it that way. Temperature plays so much in it and... Yeah, uh, everything. So unless you were really, really avid, you probably didn't have uh, jacketed fermenters and or did you go that hard? Oh, yeah, I had jacketed fermenters. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. (laughs) I even had bourbon barrels that I would make a store imperial stout in. So... So you basically ran a small brewery out of your house. I ran a small brewery (laughs) out of my house. I had four beers on tap at any time. So I never knew how much I actually drank, which gets to my next point. So what runs in my family, um, I was, by the way, I was going to go pro. 
because I was so into this. Yeah. It was just like there was a, I was going to make the leap within the next year. This was like in 2018 around there. And uh, I didn't make the leap because alcoholism runs in my family. Okay. My grandfather died from it. My mother died from it. My brother died from it. And there's my, a huge heredity huge. component to it. Huge. So I was in complete denial ever since I started drinking when I was 14. I started drinking early so that I would remove some of the alcohol from the house so my mother wouldn't get too drunk. That yeah, that's not a you know the logic. Not, the logic yeah. isn't there. I mean, you had you had the right, uh, I guess, uh, idea in your heart. Maybe just a bad execution. <laughs> it was. Yeah. You, know, you don't. You don't. You're not really. Also, that's a very heavy thing for a 14 year old to yeah. be concerned about. Yeah. So I'm a child of an alcoholic family. Uh, there's lots of different personality traits that go along with that. But my entire high school was really just coming home and picking my mother off the floor and taking her to the bed and waited for my dad to come home to yell. That was my upbringing. So I pretty much got out of that as soon as I got to college. I never yeah. went back. <clears throat> but um, anyway, that alcoholism stayed with the genetic line for sure. Uh, like I said, I started drinking when I was 14 and I stopped in 2018. Okay. So it got to the point where because of that four beers on tap at any time, uh, it got to the point where I never remembered going to sleep. I would just wake up and ride my bike to work and repeat. I would probably get sober around three in the afternoon. Okay. Honestly. Yes. And by the time I got home, I was ready for more, you know, and if beer wasn't available, wine or bourbon, whatever, I could drink about 12 beers a day, a half a bottle of bourbon and two bottles of wine in one day. That's a lot of alcohol. Yeah. It's a lot of alcohol. And you know, it creeps up on you. You really don't notice, uh, no matter how much your spouse might tell you that you have a problem the more they tell you, the more you drink. It's a pretty big problem, um, especially that we tend to, if we're stressed, you know, it's it's the pressure release valve for many yeah, the many night, people. The night, the typical nightcap, or yeah. just to, just to take the edge off. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, even going out socializing, it's it's so common. It's like driving. It's so common, you know. Um, the, the point is there that it's once you quit, I had to quit because I was going to the emergency room. My blood pressure was 200 over 120, and they said I was going to stroke out, and this kept happening. And then pretty soon my gut was extremely in pain. I couldn't eat much without being in pain for weeks. Um, and that's how it really got – then I started drinking. I was still drinking, of course. Um, despite the doctor saying that, you know, you got alcoholism, you're going to, you're going to die essentially. Um, but of course, when you're in that zone, you just keep going, you know, but the pain got so bad. I finally said that that's it. And I quit just cold Turkey. And at the time, uh, my spouse, she brought home kombucha 
I tasted it, and it was, I thought it was absolutely horrible. And I didn't <laughs> drink it again for three years. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. I know it's supposed to be good for you, right? You go, you get it in the produce section or the health department, whatever, uh, <laughs> wellness center, whatever. And I totally hated it, all right, for, for, for a long time. But by the time I started getting sober, I started reaching for it because it tastes like an alcoholic beverage. It's carbonated. It's interesting. It's like a mocktail in one jar. It fills you up. It satisfies that need to drink that alcohol. Um, I mean, there is a minute amount in there, less than 0.5, but you're never, ever going to get drunk out of it. It's minuscule. That's within the realm of being able to call something non-alcoholic, right? Anything Anything 0.5 or less. Yeah. So I make non-alcoholic kombucha. Um, So once I quit brewing beer and I now started living this sober life, um, I lost my spouse. I lost all my friends. I lost everything. My career changed completely. Um, you know, my, my brother died, my father died. All this stuff happened in, in, within a period of like three years. It was intense. It's a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. It was, it was, everything changed, mostly because I, I quit drinking. Um, but the residuals of that through the alcoholic life with the family, that still was there until pretty much everyone died, either directly or indirectly. Um, so now I have no family. They're all, they're all gone. So it's just me, which is interesting too. Um, no safety net anymore, you know, but I'm an adult, so whatever. Yeah. Um, I, the, the uh, creative part of, of brewing, after a while, I really missed it. So I ended up starting picking up how to, to brew kombucha just because I, I had this, I needed to focus on something. I was an avid uh, cyclist as well, but I started weaning off that as well. Um, and I needed to pick up something. So I started brewing kombucha. And because I have all that experience, you know, 18 years of home brewing, I picked up on it real easy because it's actually a lot simpler to make. Um, but it is just as fun to make as well. Then since I was going to go pro with the, with the uh, beer making, I thought, what the hell? I might as well, I might as well, I got really good. Everybody started really enjoying the kombucha and they're like, Eric, man, why don't you just make a business out of this? And, and because my, my career at the time with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service wasn't going the direction I wanted it to go, I started taking that energy and channeling it into a business. Okay. I'm a biologist. I know nothing about business. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my family grew up as a restaurant family and all that, you know. But uh, And I helped out when I was young. But aside from that, uh, I don't know anything about business at all. I know how to make stuff. But selling it is a whole, yeah. a whole nother Yeah, unfortunately, that thing. is a huge part of running a successful business. But it's also a good, it's a very good challenge. Um, I don't do anything easy. And like I said, when I do things, I do it all the way. So it was, it was a great opportunity to, to learn something new and, and to get into something that I can focus on and not think about drinking and start having a, 
a normal, well, start having a life. Uh, I felt that when I quit drinking in 2018, my life finally started. Everything else beforehand was hiding from it, avoiding it. So I'm pretty young, actually. Uh, it's, it's very interesting now that you're sober because you're, you're awake all the time and you can actually remember things. It's pretty, yeah. it's pretty interesting. You can learn quicker. You, can, you meet a lot of new people. You start getting uh, friends that are healthy instead of friends that might carry you through with drugs or alcohol or something like that. Uh, so you start surrounding yourself with very healthy, creative, happy, amazingly happy people which is great. Um, and I just woke up and I went, Bucci Call. That's a great name, right? <laughs> it fits my sense of humor yeah. very much so. I'm very much tongue-in-cheek on everything. Uh, so Bucci Call Kombucha, it's got a kind of a rhyme there, but it's got a, it's got a background to it. It's funny, um, but it's light. It's light. Um, some people might find offense to it, but I haven't had anyone yet think, oh, that's really rude. Yeah, it's only like a slight innuendo. You have to go pretty far down the path to... You have to want to be offended. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah, you have to be really conservative. You know, there's got to be some some reason there why you wouldn't like to say Bucci call. Um, So I told myself once that name came up, I said, okay, I'm going to take a look, and if this domain is available, if Bucci Call is available, I'm going, to, I'm going to buy that domain. And then from that point, I'm going to get an LLC license, and I can do that. I don't have to start the business, right? I can yeah, do just those two things. The, yeah. I can just move along and kind of get comfortable with the idea. So, yeah, I looked right there. I bought five years of the domain. It was free. I couldn't believe it that it was there. And then... Uh, just to chill out, I got on my bike and I rode down the street. I live in a very rural agricultural area where there's a lot of dairy farms. And with those dairy farms, they tend to go blink in and out of business pretty rapidly. Yeah, it's amazing how anyone wants to run a dairy farm oh, for yeah. how financially stressful, oh, like yeah. on a small, non-industrial scale they are. Right. Uh, it's a heck of a career to pick. There's a lot of breweries that have old milk tanks as fermenters uh-huh. from that oh, yeah. exact reason. Yeah, you bet. You bet. The, uh, so I, brought, I knew there was abandoned buildings all around. So I'm going I'm to take a ride. I'm going to see if I can find something that I can fix up. What the hey? I'll, drive, I'll ride by. I'll stop. I'll talk to some farmers. You know, a lot of empty buildings, maybe I'll rent them out or something. So within about three miles, I came up this one hill called, I call it Goat Hill. There was a goat farm there and they used to make goat cheese. The house, they left years ago and the house was abandoned for at least three years. It was a huge estate. And I was riding up this hill and this for sale sign was gone. I'm like, well, okay. And I knew it had a cheese building as part of a, a barn, kind of underneath the barn. I, I had no idea what it looked like inside, but I knew there was a business there. So, okay, there's got to be some kind of structure I can work off of. So I ended up, there was a gardener in the front. Um, 
which I didn't know. I thought it was the owner. And I said, hey, do you own this property? He goes, no, I'm a, I'm a gardener. I, I can get a hold of the man who owns it. And I'm like, sweet. Yeah, I, I'm interested in this building over here, you know, to to uh, start a kombuchery. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what the heck that is, but, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll get that name on you. And finally yeah. he did. He was like a Mennonite gardener. He, he didn't really have much with technology or cell phones. But after a few weeks, I finally got a number. And I called him up. His name was Richard Bond, and I called him up. And it turns out this house is like his uh, their retirement house. They're working on it right now. And I said, hey, Rick, I'm interested in this building, blah, blah, blah. I want to start a kombuchery. He's, again, he's like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> uh, he's He was going to make it a community center for vets. He's a vet himself okay. from the Army. His wife is from the Navy. And so they're, they have a big background with that. And uh, then my idea came along and he said, okay, well, why don't you get, see if there's zoning, see if you can even have it here, right? And then get liability insurance. And then from there, I'll know you're kind of serious and then we'll go from there. So that's what I did. I, I checked the zoning and yep, sure enough, it's out of the floodplain. It's, it can have a business. There's already been one there. Got liability insurance, not a problem at all. You just have to have money for that. And uh, with, I think I came along about August. And by September, I was in the door of that building. And it was destroyed. It was gutted. The ceiling was down. The, there were dead cats, dead rats, dead squirrels. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, you leave a, a farm yeah. building abandoned for a few years. They can go, go down, oh, downhill gosh. quickly yeah, within, between the... Yeah the wildlife and just nature reclaiming the land. Yeah, yeah the vegetation coming <laughs> yeah. in, the, the, whole, the water seepage and all that just really did a lot of damage. And there was leftover dairy equipment on the inside, and it was really abused. The owner just pretty much left. And uh, come to find out, they really just built around the equipment. There wasn't the doors were normal sized doors and everything. you couldn't get anything out. Oh, jeez! <laughs> so the big tanks, once I got in there, I literally had to cut it up um, and drag the pieces out of stainless steel one by one just to, just to get it out of the building. Um, had to redo all the floors, had to redo, redo everything, uh, remove a bathroom here and there, do get it all fixed up. And that took along with getting the license to brew kombucha that took me a year and a half solid just to start brewing. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. So who, what's the governing body for that? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, Beer makers, uh, brewers, distillers, winemakers, they're in a whole different, uh, they're regulated by a whole different organization, yeah. okay? Because, you know, they get taxed and all that jazz. 
uh, we're regulated by the Department of Health. Oh, and they're like a restaurant. Okay, uh, and I'm, they tend to be more sticklers. Yeah, and there's so, a lot more gray area on their enforcement. It seems, <laughs> or there, there's, there's a lot gray, of stuff yeah. left up to interpretation. <laughs> there is, and, and if you're a jerk, you know you're going to pay for it. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, they they can make or break you, and it it was. I have a master's degree in wildlife biology, and it was harder to get this license than to, to get my master's. <laughs> oh, jeez. Honestly. Because I had to educate them On what, what kombucha, what kombucha Wait, is. Please tell me, there was their first response was, what's a kombuchery? Well, <laughs> yeah, well, kind of. The the person they assigned to you kind of stays with you apparently for the rest of your life because she keeps coming back. And um, she was pretty new, uh, younger, and she went by the book. And the book doesn't have much about, doesn't have anything about kombucha. Yeah. And she doesn't know anything about ferment, fermented products. She doesn't know anything about making beer, wine, nothing like that at all, let alone kombucha. So we work together to educate each other on what it is and how you make it. And I had to learn, you know, within the guidelines of, of what's legal and what's not, meaning, you know, the pH has to be a certain range. It has to be at least you know, 4.1 to, to 2.5 or something like that. It has to be very acidic. Uh, the alcohol has to be less than 0.5. The alcohol is tested. The pH is tested. Every recipe, every ingredient on the recipe, I have a manufacturing license. There is no kombuchery license. I have a food <laughs> processing. Yeah. So I, I fall under that, whatever strict regulations there are, I have to follow it. And then in the meantime, I kind of have to fit this weird fermented product in there somehow. So it, every ingredient has to be tracked down to its source. And also they literally call people up and see if they also have been inspected and have a license to sell that, that item. You know, it's not like a brewery. You can buy malt and do whatever you want at all. So I have to tell them everything everything. They want to look at the label. They want to make sure that there's keep refrigerated on it. They want to make sure that Sharpsburg is on it. They want to make sure that there's milliliters on that, that tag that, and it goes on and on and on. So everything is pre-approved before I can even make. I'm surprised you don't have to have a nutritional guide on it. You, based on once you start making selling over fifty thousand dollars worth of bottles a year, or oh, okay, then there's, a, there's yeah, so there's, there's a, a size mod, threshold. There's a size okay. that makes sense because of the cost of yeah. Well, would would you would you be able to just calculate what the caloric and everything would be, or would you have to send it to be tested to like to a lab to yeah. have it and analyze, not test? They analyze. will let you look at databases to figure out the calories and all that okay. stuff, the fat. But I already sent them to a lab. I'm already working on the nutritional analysis. Okay. I have four out of eight done right now. It's just a cost. Uh, each one is $800. So yeah, it just I adds was, up. I mean, it's obviously not cheap, but it is actually cheaper than what I thought mm. having a lab do something like that would cost. Right. Whenever I've talked to breweries that have had like sent things to have analyzed for like gluten levels or like the, right. those types of things. Or actually I've talked to breweries that have sent them in just to have like the caloric 
analysis and all that done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm starting to do that in just prepping up for bigger sales. Yeah. And most people want to know how many calories, how much sugar is in here, you know, how much caffeine, all that stuff. And some of the bigger kombucheries now, they actually list the specific species of bacteria. Okay. Like definitely out in California. If you look at GT or, or some other, um, mainstream brand, they're going to have the list of, yeah, I guess if you're super, super into it, you're going to, I, I would assume the different bacteria produce different yeah, results and, and yeah. different, like would affect your gut health differently yeah, or exactly. add different. Yeah. It's almost like different. So whereas medication, me, yeah. me reading it would mean absolutely nothing to me, but someone who's into kombucha and, uh, or so, uh, from a customer standpoint, is it, are most kombucha drinkers drinking it as kind of like a supplement or as a like as a health regimen or uh, also just for flavor and, and mm-hmm. as a drink to enjoy? It's all of that, really. Okay. I would say the majority they drink it for the health. They know it's going to help their gut. Um, and everything else that follows through with that, it's really good for your immune system. Yeah, I, I, I literally completely unrelated to uh, you coming on. I had recently had like a an article that came to my attention about the importance of your gut health and mm-hmm. the the bot your stomach's biome and stuff. And but like there was a whole section about kombucha and its role right. in. Yeah, we're all born, apparently, with billions of bacteria in our body right off the bat. Yeah, and then we kill it by the eating the processed. Uh-huh, we kill it by the eating the processed food and, and taking antibiotics. And, yeah. You know, yeah, all that stuff. We end up killing it. So this either replaces it or replenishes it or um, just, well, basically, yeah, replenishes what you have in your body Let's already. try this one. I want to try it. So this That one sounds absolutely delicious. Well, this one's called Innocence. Uh, a lot of my names kind of go along with, with the business. So to me, this is literally what I think Innocence would taste like. I know that sounds strange, <laughs> but what, you know, beverage-wise, so, it's, you know, this has got pineapple, ginger, lemon, and then it has this really dreamy aroma of cardamom that you won't get in anything else. It's a wonderful spice. It does. Like you, you mentioned that the, the, I guess, uh, scratching the itch of alcohol kind of like mm-hmm. on the nose, mm-hmm. like smelling it, you would definitely think that the, it would be an alcoholic beverage. Yeah. Right off the bat. At the very least you think, Oh, this is like an apple cider or something. That's really good. So when I was brewing beer, again, I was really into Belgian beers. And then when you're into Belgian beers, you're into like Belgian wits. And they have spices. It's a wheat beer. It's got coriander uh, and a few uh, has bitter orange peel and uh, might have like uh, some other spices that I can't think of right now. But there are beers with, with spices in it that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Wheat beers too, the yeast, very expressive, and it tastes like clove banana bubblegum. Just I like the from little the tickle it gives you on the back of your throat. Yeah, from the carbonation um, and the ginger. 
Ginger makes it hot. Yeah, I think it's the ginger that's right that, that's doing that. So you can you can drink kombucha completely on its own. It's a fermented sweet tea that is fermented with a very specific culture of bacteria and yeast. That's it. It forms this thick skin on top of your fermenter that they call the SCOBY, a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast, right? But to me, it's really, the scientific term for that is really called a pellicle. And what it ends up doing, it ends up looking... Okay, nerd. It, it ends up looking <laughs> like, to me, kind of like a jellyfish mat. Um, it does kind of... And it, it, it's almost like if you were going to grow body parts, like an ear or a nose, it's kind of that thickness and, and feels kind of like an earlobe okay. when you pick it up. Okay. <laughs> but my, like, so, my, and it'll take on any shape that you have it in and it'll get th as thick as you want to let it get thick. But I guess my point so was- So it that, always floats to the top? Or sometimes they sink to the bottom, but, okay. but um, depend, it depends on, well, your system. But even if they sink to the bottom, they still, it's still fermenting and all that. But the point with this pellicle is that it protects the kombucha down below. So maybe you have, well, you have things flying in the air. You got the yeah. spores, you got mold, you got fruit flies and so all that. So is it that. open open fermentation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which differs from most beers. Yeah. It's open. So is it, does the, the um, what was the real term instead of scoby? Pellicle. Pe pe does the pellicle require oxygen? Yeah. To, okay. That's why you need an open fermenter. Definitely. So the more oxygen you put in there, the, the better the bacteria is going to grow. Um, which in theory, if you promote the bacteria, the bacteria ends up eating the alcohol that the yeast produces, the ethanol. So the, the theory behind it is if you can put enough oxygen in there to keep the bacteria more healthy than the yeast, then you're going to really have a positive impact on that alcohol. You're going to make less alcohol. Oh, okay. Got that. Right? You already answered one of my next questions and then, was how do you control? <laughs> that's one way to do it. Yeah. And then also the shape of the fermenters are very important. More shallow, bigger, okay. promotes bacteria over the yeast. Okay. Yeah. So you typically, uh, you'll see, I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar with beer brewing. There's, there's, there's something called like a cool ship. Yeah. 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 So there. you can ferment in those cool ships if you really want to. That's a nice, you know, 10 by 10 or something. Yeah. And it's only I mean, maybe 16 inches deep. Just depending on the, I mean, some breweries will have like ones twice the size of this room that yeah. they, like some of the places that have like that are really into it, and they have like wheel it out into the out into nature, or they mm -hmm. just have the garage door to open up to let all the natural Funk. bugs in. Yeah, <laughs> right. So now they're making lambics and sour beers, yeah. you know. And it, this is very similar to making that, uh, but the focus is definitely not to make alcohol, which is tricky. So. So do you have to test every batch to make sure that it hasn't Pretty produced much. too much yeah, alcohol? Yeah, I mean, you can, it, I can do it in-house. I do have an alcohol tester. Okay. What, uh, so what happens if it does, like, do you have to, like, do it through the process and then you can make adjustments so that yeah. it, it the, yeah. like, promote the bacteria growth so that it removes more of the alcohol? Yeah, and you can use less sugar too. Oh, okay. Uh, so there are ways, and and once you, 
a lot of times it might come out at like 0.8 instead of 0.5. Um, at one time I saw it go to like 1.2, the very beginning when I was making it, you know, it's never reached that point ever again. But uh, so let's just say, for example, it comes out at, at 0.8. What I then do is I actually dilute every batch okay. with fresh tea. Oh, okay. okay. So the, it, there's really no problem at all because you, you need to do that mixture anyway, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> I have to do it anyway. But I found out that diluting it, I mean, some people use water, but I'm like, why use water? I, why not focus on the tea? Because that's what we're doing anyway. And, you know, different tea that you ferment with and add, it, it really adds a lot of flavor. So I ferment with uh, a combination of an oolong and a green tea blend. Uh, very specific. This tastes and smells amazing. It's so, I make kombucha for people that don't like kombucha. All right. So what makes me different is I have that beer brewing background, right? But so I, and I have a really good sense of taste and smell and, and all of that. It's kind of like a super, super smeller. I don't use any perfumes or anything like that. I can't even use dish soap without getting it unscented. It bothers me. I can't even eat out of the same bowl. That's how sensitive <laughs> oh, wow. I am. Um, so I have that going for me, but I also know how to blend. So the biggest thing, the difference uh, with mine is that I have a very large commercial juicer in the in the brewery, and I juice take everything whole, and I juice it. I make that juice right there. I blend it in with the kombucha blend the fresh tea in there as well. Um, might add ginger, fresh ginger, juice that, fresh lemon, juice that. This batch here of Innocence, my batches are 150 gallons at a time. This takes 80 You're literally 80 answering like every question that pops in yeah. my head before I get to ask. So there's a lot to it. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. just going to sit here. I don't even so, have to ask anything. This is great. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I no, it's I'm not easy. talking too fast. No, 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 not the, at all. Uh, that was more of a compliment than a, because oh, I, okay. I was literally just thinking like, oh, I wonder how large of a batch he makes yeah. at a time. <laughs> so I have a five barrel system. Okay. Okay. So my, I have tanks that are 170 gallons. So generally 150 gallons is a five barrel system. That's all I can fit in there. That's why. But, uh, then I have a bigger tank, um, another open tank, and it's a blending tank. So I'll add the kombucha, I'll add the fresh tea, I'll add sweeteners, which is either maple syrup or honey to sweeten it up. And if I don't sweeten it up, chances are you're probably not going to like it. It would be pretty tart okay, and, and somewhat just bland. Well, yeah, because the, the it, acidity... Yeah. requirements are yeah. very much into the yeah it sour would, range. It would end up tasting like a slightly fruity senche green tea That's w with no sweetener added. That's what the kombucha would taste like, which isn't bad, um, but not a lot of people are going to buy it. It's not a, a mass market product. No, no, especially when I'm trying to introduce kombucha to people yeah. that never had it or certainly don't like it. So for, from like from the, like where you said it, the, the vast majority of drinkers, it's from like a, a health standpoint. This doesn't taste like a, a health product. Like it, it mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it, mm -hmm. not that all health things taste bad or anything, but it just, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't give off the, 
you're only drinking this because it's good for you vibe. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have that certain funk or medicinal yeah. twang to it at all. Um, and that's a lot of that has to do with the, well, my, my environment that I brew in, uh, the TIUs and the, the cultures that I use, it's pretty specific to the water that I have. How so I treat the water, the whole nine yards. So the, the order of how things are done, is it first, the f- first fermented fully and then blended or is there some fermentation that takes place after you blend too? There, or is, there is. Okay. There is. So you have to be on that as well. So once you get the blend down to a flavor that you like, you send that to another tank called the bright tank. And that has, it's double wall, double jacketed, and you have a glycol chiller, pumps glycol around it. You chill it down as quick as possible yeah. to a point where it no longer ferments. And from that point forward, it goes to kegs and then to bottles. And it's pretty much in this cold storage path from that point forward. So if you let this sit out, you know, in a, in a warm house, it will start to re-ferment and you will have your, your, uh, Scoby forming and all that. Okay, it's not pasteurized in any way. So it still has the the bacteria. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, obviously it does because that's why you drink it, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> that's why I don't pasteurize yeah. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that would completely. I mean, because then it's not. It wouldn't be kombucha at that point, right? If it was pat, or they do is sell pat- it like that. Okay. Yeah, and if you, you take a look on some of the cans, if 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 the kombucha is sitting on a shelf, not refrigerated, they're pasteurized. Okay. But wouldn't that completely defeat the purpose of yeah. what uh, what kombucha is? Yeah. Okay. But there's a lot of ignorant <laughs> people out there. So, and a lot of it now it's oh, what's the term? It's um not decommissioned. It's it's where you take each part like you're cooking and you take each part and then you put it all together. Uh deconstructed? Deconstructed. So a lot of the thank you. So a lot of the kombucha now is deconstructed. They'll have kombucha that they buy, which is really acid at the point. They buy this um, kombucha from another company that's been aged for many months, and it's guaranteed not to have any alcohol with it. They store it in these giant plastic IBC containers. It's, it, it looks more like a pharmacy than anything. And they buy this, and they, they add any sweeteners or whatever they want to it. But a lot of the companies now, they just add the bacteria that they want after the fact. Oh, so it's not like the natural process of it. No, they'll take the, they'll, they'll almost take, turn it upside down. We as human beings are just so good at taking something that is good for you and then figuring out a way to just ruin it. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's true. So yeah, they'll take the juices and all the other flavorings and then they'll squirt the bacteria on it. So it's <laughs> it's exactly opposite of what I do. Um, in order to get those really good flavors, you have to have that fermentation process. It's kind of the point yeah. of everything. Is, um, is the carbonation in this natural from fermentation or do you have to carbonate it? I carbonate uh, okay. it. Okay. There's no way I can control. Oh, yeah, because it's open ferment. It's so open, it can, yeah. yeah. And and if it's carbonating on its own, which means it's making alcohol. Yeah. So I really try to avoid that. And that bottle isn't going to stay uh, 
closed. <laughs> no, no. Everything's either in my bright and then the I bottle on demand. So okay. there's they're really never sitting around anyway. They're all kegs at this point. Okay, so you go from the bright keg it off yeah. and then fill bottles as you get orders for them. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I just got a bottler, small bottling machine and I can bottle straight off the bright tank now. Okay. You know, I'll start that this summer. Um, I was going to go to canning, but that's a huge expense and headache. And I don't really want to take another year and a half to get a license to do it. Cause I'm, I have to go through an entire new shelf life study on oh, top of that. Too. Yeah. And, uh, the health department now is going with a third party called the food processing authority. I mean, coming from someone who knows absolutely nothing, uh, to me, kombucha is in a bottle, <laughs> but yeah. that's probably because I've only ever seen it in a bottle. <laughs> I, well, I love it on draft. So when I go to farmer's markets, I serve it on draft. Okay. I have a jockey box. I mean, that's gotta be like the number one environment to, other than so like far, a like yeah. a common market or like the I mean I, I would I would assume kombucha probably does well in like a Wegmans also mm-hmm. but like farmer market that's right well, up the alley of <laughs> common market for sure um, you know moms and common market yeah yeah so this one's called zest for life this one is a lemonade on steroids. With a little bit of hibiscus to make it sexy pink. Okay, so we have lots of lemon, lots of ginger, a little bit of hibiscus. Again, green tea. Green tea's not only is it fermenting with green tea, it's also almost always added. There's a couple recipes that I add. It's the dark like tea. Reading that, it. it sounds gross to me. But I think that every time I see something that says it has hibiscus in it, and then I still enjoy it. But for some mm-hmm. reason in my mind, hibiscus is not a flavor I would like. Uh, but this is yeah. also really. So is there a reason um, for using ginger? Is that a taste profile preference on your part? Or is there is there a reason to use ginger in kombucha? Well, it's both. I really love the flavor of it. I love the pepperiness of it and the just the ginger flavor in general. And also it's extremely healthy. There's a recipe I also use ginger and turmeric and that's even more, okay. even more healthy, but turmeric tastes like bitter dirt. <laughs> You're really it, selling it. It's turmeric <laughs> is horrible. It's horrible. It's beautiful to juice. It's beautiful. Orange it smells beautiful. Taste it. Oh my God. It's, n- it's like aspirin. It's normal to pair with like mango, right? Isn't that a common <sighs> flavor? Honey? Com- I could see that. Anything sweet. Just Pineapple. A- yeah, mango. Anything really sweet. Definitely. And a little bit goes a long way. Okay. So I have a recipe called the Full Monty. <clears throat> Excuse me, the Full Monty. And I name it that because almost everything from my garden goes in it. During the time getting my license, I also made gardens out front. So I try to grow as much as I can possible to to also, you know, offset the produce that I purchase and uh, have it as fresh as possible. And one of it was um, actually what I have is beets and horseradish. 
So I have a Polish background. So anytime I use beets, I have to have horseradish. It's just the way it is. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm from Buffalo too, and, and we love a horseradish. Yeah. You're just you're con- we, contractually obligated. Yeah. To- <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's mandatory. Mandatory. You get married and you buy a jar of horseradish. It's just the way it is, right? I just skipped it and got the horseradish. So the recipe, the full Monty has it's beet based. That's the main ingredient. Okay. Okay. So I juice a lot of beets. It takes about sixty pounds of beets per batch. It looks like uh, I murdered somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful thing to, to juice, but man, it stains everything. And while I juice the beets, I also throw in a few tubers of horseradish because you can't juice it on your own because you're gonna, your shirt's going to be wetter than the amount of fluid that you get out of it. Oh, is it just oh my God. messy? Oh, your <laughs> eyes, it's like doused in gasoline. It's amazing. <laughs> Onions are nothing compared to horseradish. So we got It sounds like you learned that the hard way. Yeah, I did it once. (laughs) um, And I, I literally squirted water on my eyes. I should have had a washing station and I left the building for a long time. (laughs) I couldn't, I'm just, Oh my God, bright red eyes. So you got to mix it with other stuff. Um, But the full Monty also has the turmeric in there. So it's got beets, turmeric, ginger, carrots, uh, Serrano chilies, uh, back sweetened with maple syrup. Again, I'm from Buffalo. When I was growing up, going to grade school, I made maple syrup. So I always go, when I go visit what family I have left up there, I go to a sugar shack and I get, I get 30, I get a 30 gallon barrel uh, <laughs> twice a year. And that's what goes into the kombucha. And that's what gives it even more flavor. Are you a Bill's fan? <clears throat> Well, you kind of have to be. I'm not a sports fan in general, okay. but if the Bills are on, I'll watch it. Okay. Well, you know? I guess I don't have to tell you to go to hell then. <laughs> so I, I I'm not a fan of anybody. Yeah, I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, and then the Bills just embarrassed the Steelers oh, over the yeah. weekend. Oh, no. Well, they're, you know, sister cities. They're they're very close. There's the, a the lot vibe of, is the same. I was going to say there's a, definitely a lot of similarities between oh, yeah. Pittsburgh and Buffalo. Yeah, especially now that they're becoming, you know, modern rust belts, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, it's Buffalo's cool. going through the whole kind of uh, resurgence and mm-hmm. uh, the rebuilding of the city that Pittsburgh went to through like a decade or so ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. I like Buffalo. Um, yeah, they've got so much cool stuff there now. Mm-hmm. Like just that everything is p- popping up there. Yeah, and I think the state has like 250 breweries now. Yeah, there's a it's lot. Insane. And, it's and insane. there's a ton of like recently opened big name ones in Buffalo. Yeah. And Buffalo also has a couple big kombucheries as well. So it's really coming along. Maryland, on the other hand, there's eight. I think there's eight. Kombucheries. I wouldn't even have guessed that many. Maybe but. five to eight, somewhere around that range. That's it in the entire state. And I think a lot of that is because it's so difficult to get that license. Okay. It's not that there isn't a need. It's that license. They do not want to give it to you. I wonder why. Well, it- there's no category for it. They're, they don't have the code oh, for okay. it. Yeah. And it's once a you, once you, Once you're dealing with... Um, the government and it's not black and white. And then people have to start figuring out what, Mm -hmm. 
what hole the pay what <laughs> which shape hole that that the kombucha peg fits into right. then then it probably just get like I don't feel like thinking about this and just shifts to the side and <laughs> mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, so and I, I get inspected twice a year. The whole nine yards. They come and they watch me make it, and they sit there with a clipboard and they grade me. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> this is how detailed it is. <laughs> you know, and I, then I go to a brewery. I mean, you could put a rat in a can and sell it. Nobody would even blink. Oh, rat stout? Beautiful. I love it. It must be February. You know, it's Feb- February's rat stout season. Yep, totally rat stout season. Goes with the beard. Um, I mean, it's, well, that's, you know, extreme example, but when, ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. <clears throat> but it's it's insane. I, I feel like at one time it felt like there was going to be a huge crackdown on breweries. But I feel like that... That trend from the consumer standpoint kind of died down enough that it's not as out of control anymore, mm. and it will probably bypass the getting catching the eye of the government to start cracking down on what breweries are putting into beer. Because, but there was, there was a good two years or so there that it it definitely got a little mm. absurd. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, when when did you say you? When did you sell your first bottle? How long? Like how long? I've been you... in business for about two and a half years okay. now. Uh, so I finally got two full seasons under my belt. Okay. So as of August, it was two years completely. I sold so two years ago. I think it was in September. No, yeah, I sold my first bottle. I didn't, and I didn't want to sell any bottles. I my my goal was to put everything in kegs. Okay. And, and then... sell it in breweries and restaurants. Um, tap houses, uh, coffee houses, places like that. I didn't want to deal with cans or bottles or anything like that. But as soon as you go out, well, that's that's my reality. But the real reality is that people want like 16-ounce bottles. They don't even want 32s. They want something that they can just grab. Yeah. Preferably, well, I don't know. It's it's Some people like cans. Some people like bottles. I think kombucha should be in a bottle myself. Um is there any negatives or positives to it being exposed to the light or is it not mm, matter really? You know, the extent it's in there being exposed, I don't think it's a problem. Okay. Yeah. The, um, well, I would think like trying to get the, does there being bacteria in it make it a hard sell to get places to put, put it on to a tap line? Yeah, there is some of that. Uh, if you take it to, yeah, I've had recently, had interest at a local distillery, and they're like, yeah, we won't put it on tap, but we'll buy the bottles. We're like, we don't want that bacteria anywhere. Yeah, that's what I would think that it would it would be a really hard, especially at a brewery, mm-hmm. a hard sell to get a brewery to put I it was, on. Well, the first year I was selling at Harper's Ferry. Okay. They were going through eight kegs every two weeks. Oh, wow. They, were, they couldn't keep it on tap. And then management changed, and that was it. So slowly I learned, even if you get in a place, yeah, there's the, no guarantee yeah. that it's going to grow or you're going to be there. It's not like they have a responsibility to you or even if they care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they just want to make money. Yeah, you think you're going through that much of it. It would, unless they just refilled all the lines with their own beer. They and then, got a cidery there and they, re, uh, they filled yeah. all their taps. I totally understand it. They're making more money. Yeah. That's the point. 
you know. Yeah, that you wouldn't be doing this. To, yeah. To, to not make money either. <laughs> right, right. This is, I started this as a, I call it my gap job. I want to have this running and retire early. I'm, yeah. I'm tired of doing what I'm doing pretty much, you know. Like I said, my life restarted and I want, I want a whole different life, you know. And I would say, oh, I want to do something all on my own. I want to make all the decisions, blah, blah, blah. Well, you don't because you have to answer to the customers. And you you, you have, instead of one boss I was, now, I was just you have say millions that. of them. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh. What, yeah. um, what is your most f- popular flavor? Of- it's innocence. Yeah. I was going to, I mean, that's, uh, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. I like this one a lot too, but innocence is just like that. Um, that feels much more like a gateway kombucha. It is like the, that, that, that is, I would assume what you, when someone like me comes up to you Mm -hmm. and lets you know that you have no idea what kombucha is or something, that's what you hand them. And they're like, Oh, well actually this is good. (laughs) Uh huh. In fact, that's how I sell it. I say, this is our gateway. If you don't like this kombucha, I'm not going to give you anything else, you know, but everybody likes it. So how many different um, SKUs do you have? I have eight flavors right now. Okay. That's a lot. It is a lot. Two, three of them I think are seasonals pretty much. Like okay. the, the full Monty is late fall. I have one More called- More to be in line with har- harvesting. Harvesting, kind of. exactly. When I can get the freshest ingredients. I mean, because, and also maintaining eight is really impossible for me in my space. I can do five or six, but not okay. eight. I just don't have the the cooler space enough for that many kegs in one spot. Um, so, yeah, the Full Monty is, is a fall seasonal. I have another one called Marrakesh, which is m- modeled after a Moroccan green mint tea. Okay, hence the name huh. Marrakesh. And all the mints from my garden. I have about 12 different species of mint and I harvest them all. What is, what is mint? Deter- is it flies? Deer. Is it fruit flies? I know there, like, there's some sort of bug you, you, mm. you plant mint to right. keep them away. Um, I believe it, it's good for the tomatoes because it keeps the bugs from the tomatoes away. Okay. Yeah. It's a good plant. It gets all everywhere. I yeah, I just, my grand my grandparents had a farm, um, and th- there were specific places where they would have a bunch of uh, mint plants, and mm-hmm. I just can't remember what they said the reason for having them was. Yeah, I just I know it deters some sort of pest. I just can't <laughs> remember what. <laughs> and it's good for you too. Yeah. I grew up. Like I said, up in Buffalo, my grandmother, she was Polish. And every time we had iced tea, she always got a sprig of mint and put it in there. So that's really the main drive for that recipe was it reminded me of my grandmother. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, But that's a seasonal because it's just the mint only lasts so long. I ended up making another recipe with more dried mint. Um just so that I can have a, a minty one all year round. <clears throat> and that one's called Limelight. It's lime, mint, and basil. Wild Thing sounds good. Wild Thing is my homage to IPA. Yeah. It tastes like a non-alcoholic beer. I swear. 
I use a specific hop called Sabro. Yeah. It's called there. Wild Thing because Sabro was found in New Mexico. There's Neo-Mexican hops now. Uh, I don't know how many species, but it was found wild, and they grew it up. Um, so I call it a wild thing because it was found wild. But it also fits everything else in my lineup. It's a great name. It's mango, pine, citrus. It's just delicious. It's pretty much my go-to every night. I can drink a couple of my non-alcoholic IPAs. Yeah, it sounds that that one sounds really good. It's delicious. It's not exactly a, a, a girl one. Um, for some reason, guys love hops. Uh, not as many women do, and my audience is eighty percent female. Uh, so that one doesn't sell well. No, it doesn't <laughs> sell. So I only make I don't make full batches of that. Okay, for two reasons: it doesn't sell as much as I want, and the hops fade quick. And as the hops fade, it actually gets sweeter. And really, people even like it more the older it gets, which is interesting. It's kind of like the guys love it in the beginning, and then the ladies love it as it gets old and sweeter and mango-y and honey-like. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is pretty cool. Um, I love it. And it's, at least it's one I can experiment with different hops and stuff like that, which is, which is nice. Well, there's a few places in downtown Frederick that you can get... Mm-hmm. So you can get it at Frederick Social. Not always. They have other, they buy other kombucha there. Okay. Um, but I usually have two kegs on tap there. Hippie Chick Hummus carries it. And right now I started, I did four different farmer's markets last year. I had six months of zero life, period. I went to work. I came <laughs> home. I brewed. I worked. And then I did Saturday, Sunday, and then repeat all over again, no life whatsoever. And I knew that going into it, but I wanted to see where my audience was, you know, and I wanted yeah. to test, test the recipes. And so now this year I'm sticking to mostly one farmer's market. I'll be doing a little one, uh, half a one in Charlestown in West Virginia. That's a pretty good one. And then I'll be doing the Frederick city market, which is on Sunday, I believe eight, eight to one. And that one's great. The, the audience here, the people in Frederick, are not afraid to try new things. It's a very uh, artisanal town, yeah, maybe. It's foodie. Would be, yeah. Food, totally like, foodie. Yeah, we've we got great restaurants, great breweries, great, like, there's <clears> a lot of um, flavor exploration to, ta to, yeah. to have in Frederick. Yeah. And it tends to be, well, Maybe a younger younger crowd too. Not that um, senior citizens don't love it either, um, but yeah, it's a very exploratory, interesting crowd. And I also get a lot of tourists coming up from DC. It seems to be like that sweet spot. Yeah, and I so oh I, yeah, we get I, invaded I really every weekend well. by everywhere. <laughs> so I take four kegs and I drain them every almost every time oh, in nice. the summer. Sometimes I have to bring more, like eight kegs, and I'll finish start finishing those too. Um, most, I'm, the, uh, people that keep coming back, we just call them repeat offenders. I don't know <laughs> why, but we do. So once I, once I have somebody hooked, they will just keep coming back. So I'm getting this audience. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That's awesome. Then they'll drive all the way out to my brewery from here just to fill up a growler. What, uh, so what is the price point for kombucha? Like how much is a 32 ounce bottle? 
so the 32 ounce new is $12. Okay. Okay. That's how I, you know, it's more expensive in some stores. I sell it wholesale cheaper and they, they pump up the yeah. price, but I sell it for 12. And then when they refill it, they bring the bottle back. I sell it for 10. Okay. Okay. 64 ounce growlers are $20. When they bring it back, it's 18. All right. Kegs are 120 bucks. And I sell those to businesses or people. You have a kegerator, I will sell it to you. Not a problem. It's a lot easier than doing 40 of these damn bottles. I'll take that. <laughs> I will give you $80 yeah. <laughs> not to use these bottles. Um, it's, it's, they're a pain in the butt, yeah. to say the least. Bottling is miserable. It's expensive, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's probably 60% of my workload is bottling. And everything that's around that. I just got new labels because I can't get the silkscreen anymore. So I had to have labels made to put on blank bottles. I need new tags because some of my recipes have changed. So I just bought all that. I had to buy um, enough bottles now that I had to get a shipping crate to store them in. Oh, I've heard that, that like the minimum buy for bottles went through the roof because they were so hard to find. So places oh, just yeah. started bumping up the... It's the price for price point yeah. for me. If I don't get it by the pallet or two pallets, it's crazy expensive. Yeah. But then there was even just the... There were, there were some companies that had just limit, like a very, very high minimum order limits that mm -hmm. they made. Cans especially. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, getting back to the farmer's market, uh, I'll be there all year this year coming up. It's just a great market. And aside from the couple places in Frederick, I need to get more more places. I haven't been marketing. So not only do I have to make it, um, not only do I have to bottle it, not only do I also have to market it and sell it. And not only do I have to do that, I have to deliver it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then I got to take the bottles back and I got to clean the bottles and so on and so on and so forth. Everything is done by me and I can only do so much. So last year, all the farmer's markets, I wasn't able to go out and sell myself to other new places. So this year I'm going to have more time to do that. I want to find places to, that will carry the bottles in this town. I think it's very important. I checked all the breweries, um, even some that are close friends of mine, they won't carry it. Nobody in Frederick will carry it out of all the breweries. It's astonishing. I think we went so far to take kegs and their staff drank the kegs. They loved it. <laughs> they never offered to put it on tap for the customers. Yeah, I mean, at a brewery, you definitely would not want to run bacteria through a tap line. I well, would, I assume they clean the taps probably once a week. They definitely you know. do, but there's still that. Um, and they make sour beers too, so... Yeah, but you know. those those already have everything killed off, mm -hmm. and it, I mean, you still have to clean better. But it most of most of that, so like before it's packaged, is killed off, or um, there's there's not any left in there usually. Well, yeah, I mean, if they're doing like kettle sours, <laughs> then it's not a problem. Which is what most breweries are doing. Yeah. There aren't. There aren't many in Frederick that are doing wild fermentation. Mm -hmm. No, I don't know any. And uh, Old Mother has. I don't know if they're still making that beer or not. But the thing about breweries is, is that it, families go there and people, you know, the kids can drink kombucha now. 
So if they're selling kombucha, now they're getting an entire different audience, another market, and they can make more money. They can start selling stuff to kids. Yeah, I would think for in a brewery, like that's where cans would be clutch uh-huh. to, to have it available. And it would yeah. probably be a lot easier to yeah to get a brewery to start serving it from a can than to take up a tap line. Yeah, you're probably right. And that's a good $80,000 investment. Yeah, they're not cheap. No. Um, and then like a 32-ounce bottle is going to be a hard sell too because unless you get – a few customers right in a row that are ordering it, you're mm-hmm. going to end up with a lot of spoilage from, cause I would assume once you open that, it's kind it's of fine. like open. Just got to keep it cold. Okay. So it'll, yeah, it never goes bad. Okay. It's alive. Oh, it never goes bad. It changes flavor. Yeah. But it never goes bad. Okay. Well, I guess that's yeah. less of a problem then. Mm-hmm. It's not like a soda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At all. It keeps going. So the car, but the carbonation won't. The carbonation will leave. Yeah. Okay. It will. Well, some people actually like it flat. Okay. They prefer straight, uh, flat kombucha. There's probably, but I mean, we're talking like ten percent of the audience. So I don't, I don't even go that far. Is most, um, is most kombucha carbonated or like what's the normal? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, federal though, I don't think they carbonate it, but. But yeah, most of it's carbon. Okay. Yeah, hands down, hands down. If you're a home brewer, then they're not. Yeah. You know. You're just pouring it from the yeah mason jar with the gross thing floating around. And yeah, it's kind of like the <laughs> the um, iced tea, you know, with the tap on it. The sun tea do, maker. Okay. Do you, um. So is that somewhere where you you use the same? What what was that word again? The proper mm. one, not scope. Oh, the pellicle? Yeah, the pellicle. Is that transferred from batch to batch or? Did, uh, it can I, be. Uh, I use a continuous brew system. So I ferment in, I think, 120-gallon tanks. I harvest about 60% of that, and then I add fresh tea on top of it. So it's always, oh, okay. always so brewing until it gets, it will get to the point where the flavor will change where I don't like it. And then you have to just then start Then I start over. all over again. So is that kind of is that kind of the same as like um, where you would only want to use um, like propagate a yeast so many times? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where it just mutates to the point where it's putting off undesirable flavors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Pretty soon it'll taste like vomit, which you really yeah, which, don't want. No. Yeah. No. no, no. <laughs> You can probably do three, three on a on a yeast. Depends on the alcohol content. The stronger the alcohol, you can't yeah. you can't redo it. Kind of a thing. But uh, the kombucha can keep going for months and months and months. I, it probably goes for about two months for me, and then I then I don't like the flavor, and I start all over. So I have four or five fermenters, and I generally have them on a sequence. They're not all started at once, so that way when I have to dump one tank, I always have more that I can continue to brew with. So at any time, I can make up to, if I need to, I can do um, 500 gallons a week. Okay. But typically I'm more, right now, I'm more like 200. So are your, 
<clears throat> plans to just keep growing it, like till you outgrow that building and then move into. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah. I mean, I'm, like I said, I've only been this for two and a half years, but I'm I'm out of the red already. Oh, that's that's. I pretty much pretty make quick. the first year. I um pretty much made what I put into it, for the most part. Yeah. And with the tax returns and all that, I end up getting just a little bit more, which is nice. Yeah. And I don't buy as much big equipment now. The um, the juicer was more expensive than my van. I had to take a loan out for that. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it's incredible how much money you can spend. So when I was starting out, I thought it would cost me around $80,000 for everything to fix up the building to buy all the tanks and equipment and coolers and the whole nine yards, right? It ended up costing me twice as much. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then every year I probably spend, I don't know, 50000 for upgrades. Hey, there's, there's always it's insane. something better you can find. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. then end up needing just from the growth of the, the business. Yeah, right. There's always something. And because it's just me, I have to buy things that make time. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. Like, uh, I have to make it easier. Efficient, efficiency mm-hmm. is the number one, number one driver. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I will spend the extra money for efficiency. What is the best way to keep track of and keep up to date with Bucci Call? Well, I do have a Facebook page. I have an Instagram page. Um, and I also have a website, BucciCall.com. You can also just call me. <laughs> I get everything. They email me. They call me. You know, the whole nine yards. Man. But uh, BucciCall.com is my website. Or and just swing by the Frederick City uh, Farmer's Market. Farmer's Market, yeah, which if you Frederick. go on BucciCall.com, it has a link to... A link and show you everywhere it's available and what format that it's. And I have a new on. website coming at the end of the month, and it's going to have a map, and you're going to be able to search on that and all. Okay, that. it's got all my. It will have all my places where I sell, very easily accessible. Uh, do you want to answer a couple intentionally stupid questions? Oh, please. Who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate? Oh God, that is. <clears throat> There's a correct answer and a wrong one, so choose wisely. So either the ninja or the pirate? Yeah. Do we have any scenario or is it I mean just across the board, this one the one of them would win. Hmm. I'm gonna say the pirate. That's the correct answer. Okay. Most I'm, people I'm just do thinking not they're just <laughs> they're pissed off and diligent. Yeah. You there know, you go. They they're uh all piss and vinegar. <laughs> the ninja is all about honor and peacefulness and all that. So, what is favorite. the what is the largest animal that you would be able to defeat in hand to hand combat? Defeat, as in like wrestling, like hold down yeah. kind of defeat. Largest animal. Uh, three-toed sloth. <laughs> Although, the, aren't there... Uh, There's two-toed and three-toed. Aren't there uh, claws, like, razor sharp or something like that? They're 
pretty. But I guess you'd be able to do- easily dodge them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your go-to gas station snack? Pretzels. Any particular kind or just pretzels in general? Uts. That checks out. That's a northern, like a northeastern thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if you had a pet parrot, what would you teach it to say? Where's Eric? <laughs> I did have a pet parrot. <laughs> is, is that what you taught it to say? We, we had a blue and gold macaw. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it says it says a lot of things, but it's still today. It says, "Where's Eric?" Was it? Is it mean? Because don't aren't some of those like really mean? They have attitudes. Yeah. Yeah. They let you know who's boss and they are. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Mm, yeah. Is Nickelback a good band? No. <laughs> I right, will do one more. Uh, does pineapple belong on a pizza or just in kombucha? It's good on pizza. No, it's not. It is. <laughs> it, it has no business being on pizza. <laughs> All right, Eric, thank you so much for your time today and teaching me uh, about kombucha and uh, for the delicious kombucha. The innocent, I mean, both were really good, uh, but I absolutely love Innocence. Good, that I'm was glad. really, really, really good. The gateway. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Thank you, Chris. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.